What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, coming at you a day later than usual, but that's okay. Uh, Jeff Sharon here with you, Eric Lopez alongside Eric. Um, I have to apologize to you because yesterday, Wednesday, April the 5th, was my birthday, and I played hooky for Happy the podcast birthday. one day. Thank you. Thank you. It's a good excuse. Yeah. yeah it's like, well, you know, I mean, we had, a, you know, we had a good time, you know, me and me and the wife and the kid. And uh, but, you know, hey, I mean, it's hard to believe now. Let's see. I'm 30. Let's see. I'm almost twice as old as I was when I went to UCF. Which seems unreal <laughs> to me. God. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. Speaking of youth, um, we're going to lead off with a Taco Fall story. But uh, just remember to subscribe to us. If you don't already, on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. Leave us a review on iTunes if you can. You can follow Black and Gold Banneret at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. You can hit us up on Facebook as well. You can look up me at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. All right. Let's dive right in. Because uh, even though we're na- now we're through basketball season, um, we're eyeball deep in the spring sports. By the way, uh, we'll have uh, a guest on later in the show. Brian Murphy is going to join us. He's been uh, writing about some baseball and a little bit of basketball for us on the banner. And um, and he's going to join us for a little bit to chat about um, UCF baseball uh, heading into, well, actually, they're already in conference play. And uh, they have the war on I-4 against USF coming up this week. So we're happy to have Brian join us here in a little bit. But first things first, let's dive in on what the big story is here at UCF. And that is Taco Fall. We thought um, he would be uh, – the, the draft buzz was kind of lightly surrounding him. Uh, but then, come to find out, um, it was uh, – Ileana Ramon actually uh, reported this yesterday. Taco Fall uh, will test the NBA draft waters, according to Ileana on OrlandoSentinel.com, with an option to return to UCF, the school announced. Uh, the reason why is because he – is basically declaring his eligibility for the draft, but not hiring an agent. And so the rule is, if you if you don't hire an agent, if you don't like where you stand, or if you go through the pre-draft evaluations, I think this is the key. If you go through the pre-draft evaluations, they send you back a grade. They say, here's a bunch of scouts and GMs look at you, and they say, okay, here's where we think you're going to go based on where you're at right now. And if you don't like that, you can come right back to school. No penalties, you know, nothing, nothing wrong. Um, as long as you don't hire an agent. So, what do you think about that? I, I, you know, is is this is this is this a story at all? Or is it a non-story? What what do you make of this? My opinion is a non-story. Okay. I think the only reason why people are even making a story is because it's a slow time in the year. Not there's nothing else to talk about. So let's make this a story. Well, all I mean, he, if, if Taco is a thing to talk about, though. Let's you know, let's be honest. Seven six kid. You know, a de- defense conference defensive player of the year. I mean, it's it's you know, if it has to do with him, you know, it's it, it's going to be a story. Uh, that's fine, but he didn't do anything. He just said, "Yeah, I'm going to gather more information and I'm going to give myself the option," which is what a lot of players are going to do with the new rules now in college basketball. Yeah, like you just described it. He's going to get more information. He's going to know what he needs to work on, what his kind of stock is. Can it go up? Can it not go up? So all he's doing is gathering more information. 
Uh, it, it's not really any earth-shattering news. I wouldn't really read into much of it, except that, sure, it, it, I'm sure there's a curiosity to see where he is. And look, in, in his defense, I mean, there was a CBS site that had him late, what, mocked in the like, late first round? Late first round, oh. CBS had him uh, in their uh, NBA, mock, uh, NBA mock drafts. Right. So I, I, you know, I, my thing is, uh, I'm not that concerned about it because tell me what he, you know, talk to me when he makes his decision one way or the other. We went through this a few years ago with Isaiah Sykes. Isaiah Sykes That's did the true. exact same thing at UCF and everybody, whoa, what's he doing? He didn't do anything. He came back. He just gathered information and he decided to come back. I mean, that's, what's going to happen here. Um, I still maintain that he will be back because I think the league, is going to tell him all the flaws, and I think he'll say at best, maybe he gets drafted in the second round. Um, and if he gets that, I would expect him to come back. Now, if they come back with a grade of, hey, you know, yeah, you're a first-round pick and this or that, then he might change his, you know, then he declares. But, uh, you know, and I, I, you know, again, I don't think it's a bad thing to gather more information. If you, you want to gather more information, you find out where you stand – I think it, he'll get if he he'll get told what he needs to do to improve his draft stock if he comes back. That's the other advantage of doing this. So, you know, I think it's smart to do it. I think every player should do it. Quite honestly, uh, if I'm BJ Taylor at the end of if, if not this year at the end of next year, I would do the same thing. I would do the same thing if I was any college basketball player that had aspirations of going professionally eventually. You want to know where you stand, and now with the rules the way they are, there's a there's a bit of a loophole that you have an opportunity to find out more information than you did in the past. Now, here's what CBS has him. Now, this is Howard Megdahl. Um, now, it, it, this is an important distinction to make. Taco Fall right now, according to Megdahl at CBSSports.com, is listed as the 24th best prospect. Now, that is different than a mock draft because he's just ranking how good the players are in this class, irrespective of any team's need um, heading into the draft. So he's not predicting which teams are going to go where based on the lottery or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, he's got, By the way, he's got Markel Fultz of Washington as number one, Josh Jackson of Kansas is two, Lonzo Ball, UCLA three. Taco is 24th, uh, to give you a, some context he's just behind john collins of uh, power forward from wake forest and just ahead of thomas bryant of indiana uh he is also listed as the second best center in the draft behind justin Patton of creighton who's seven feet tall 230 pounds Ugh. taco listed seven six two ninety so um so that's i think people are kind of confusing that oh he's predicted to go in the first round no he's merely saying that you know, they expect him to be um, uh, his ranking is 24th if he comes out now. Um, DraftExpress.com has him listed as the 51st pick in the 2018 mock draft. He, they have him listed as the 26th best sophomore in the NCAA and the 96th best prospect out of the top 100. Uh, that's according to DraftExpress.com. Um, I have said before that you know I, I would never. Let's say he comes out. I would never begrudge a guy one bit for deciding. You know what? I want to take my my shot right now 
There's a lot of money waiting for me. I think I can make it work. I have the evaluations that say I can make it work. I'm going to go. I would never begrudge this guy one bit if he decided to leave. I mean, he's from Dakar, Senegal. You know, came to the United States. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just I, I would be like, hey, I'm I'm all for it. As a fan, selfishly, as a fan, I would be upset to see him go. And I personally, based on my amateur basketball knowledge, would say, you know, all right, well, you still look like you need to you need to cook another year, all right? Because yes, conference defensive player of the year, I get it. But it's his offensive game that needs work. Um, looking at his numbers from this past year, his minutes went up nine minutes a game, but uh, at, although his field goal percentage went down 71%, still pretty good. Poor foul shooter, 46%. He finished the year with 10.9 points, 9.5 rebounds, and 2.6 blocks uh, per game. Now, that's up from 7.4 and 5.9 uh, in his freshman season. Um and, and he had you know, almost double the number of shot attempts last year and almost double the number of minutes from uh, last year as well. Uh, but there's still a lot of stuff that, I, that he needs to work on. Uh, he actually had considerably fewer blocks per minute, if you will, than he did uh, last season. Um, I think that he – and I think that if he comes back, he would be in a good place to be. Considering that, you know, Johnny Dawkins, former N- NBA player himself, who, by the way, played with a 7'6 guy in Minute Bowl when Johnny was in Philadelphia with the 76ers, um, knows a little something about how to make things work with, with, with super tall players. Um, I still think he needs one, one more year. I think you do, too. And, um, but, uh, oh, by the way, one interesting note I did want to get in here before I ask you this is that I, I seem to recall that do you remember Vashawn Leonard played for the Heat? Yeah, Vashawn Leonard. Vashawn yeah. Leonard, I think, was the first guy who ever did this. He declared for the draft back in, like, 1993 or four, but did not hire an agent. Was actually, I think he was actually drafted uh, and then didn't like where he got drafted, so he went back to school because he didn't, he didn't have an agent. Um, played one more year at Minnesota and then came out to the NBA. Um, and had a fairly successful career. I think he was the first guy to do that. Someone will have to check me on that. But the, he's the first guy I remember doing something similar to what Taco is doing. And this is good because it's sort of a it's sort of a a bone that the NBA throws, you know, for you know for, over concerns about the one and done rule and all that kind of stuff. But um, I personally would be, you know, sad if he goes. But I totally would understand it from his perspective. What about you? As long as he gets good advice. Don't get a Jacoby. Don't do a Jacoby Glenn. See, it, right. it, my thing is don't do a Jacoby Glenn. And for people that remember the Jacoby Glenn story, he declared early. He he went against people's advice. He went against the coaching staff's advice. Uh, nobody gave him a high grade. And you know this, having been around that football program, you know the, they will give you an evaluation of where they think you'll go in the draft. Mm-hmm. And Jacoby Glenn ignored it. Uh, in part because as you know, it's been speculated. I think a relative thought he should go, uh, and, and so my thing. And he ended up not getting drafted. Now, luckily for him, he's so he's he's worked his you know what off to the point where he's now a starting cornerback in the NFL. So he was able to make it work, but it was not a smart decision. I mean, he he didn't get drafted. He was fortunate he got an opportunity, but he. You know, if he stays another year, he probably would have gotten drafted higher and maybe he would have gotten more money than he has at this point. So my point is a little bit of a harder sell, though, when you're talking about football, though, right? Sure. 
But here's the thing. In basketball, there's only two rounds. And one of, the, one of the issues that we run into in basketball is that everybody declares because everybody thinks they have potential and everybody just wants to get drafted. And there's a lot of different agendas. There's guys that will just go declare because they know that their stock can't get better if they stay another year. So they're going to cash in now. Um, and there's going to be guys that are going to be told, yeah, we think you're a late first round pick, but then they turn out to be a second round pick. There's going to be guys that think they're going to be told they're maybe a second round pick that don't get drafted. There's only 60 selections. And as you know, anybody that's followed the NBA draft, a certain percentage of those draft picks, teams are going to take foreign players that they can stash away because they don't want them on the roster. So they play overseas. They probably don't even come back to play in the NBA. So re in reality, there's maybe 50 spots available. So it comes down to what's your goal? Is your goal to be a first-round pick? Is your goal to be a second-round pick? Is your goal just to get paid? Um, you know, and I don't necessarily say that there's any wrong answers there, but everybody has their own different rules. So what is the goal? What is what if you're Taco Fall? What do you want to hear? Do you want to hear that you're a first-round pick? Do you want to hear that you're a second-round pick? Uh, do you want to hear that you're going to get selected? Uh, you know, what if they tell him, you know what, your stock's not going to improve no matter what you do, because the NBA is different than it was 20 years ago when Manu Bull played. And quite honestly, seven foot guys, seven foot six guys don't really fit in today's modern NBA with the small ball and the three point shot. So I, I just my concern with him is I, I do worry. I know people assume that he'll get taken, but. Does he want to be uh, relevant in the NBA or does he just want to get taken and just be a selection and just say, hey, I got drafted and that's it? Uh, those are decisions they have to make personally. Uh, I'm in the believer that yeah, I'd like to think he wants to make an impact in the NBA. And I'd like to think that what he's going to be told is he needs to still improve on certain things to have a shot in the NBA. So that's why I think he will come back at least for one more year. And because this draft, next year's draft's not as good as this year's yeah, draft. Yeah, that's true. So I think he's got a better shot to go higher just on that alone. And if he can make the improvements he did this past year from his first year to next year, then his stock will go up. I think more people will pay attention to him. But he has to be careful because the days of, hey, everybody's looking for a big man are not are, are not the same anymore in the NBA. I've been around the NBA. The the guys that the NBA are looking for now are the six eight, six nine, seven, you know, wing players that can play the stretch four, play the mm -hmm. stretch five. Kind of and play both the, ways. Yeah. Correct. So my worry is I hope he listens to good advice, and I think he will. And I hope he doesn't, you know, get uh, the wrong messages here and based on either somebody because somebody else wants him to go pro or whatever. Because I would hate for him to declare early and then we get to draft night, Jeff, and he doesn't get selected. Just a, a, a couple quick notes on, you know, super tall NBA guys. Went back in the archives and look, George Mirasan, obviously everyone remembers, is the tallest guy in NBA history. Quarter of an inch taller than uh, Minute Bowl. George was 7'7. His career ended in 2000. Bowl ended up uh, uh, finishing his career in 1994. Sean Bradley, 2005. Yao Ming, 2011. Uh, Sacramento had a guy named Sim Bular, who's the first player of Indian descent uh, to play in the NBA, um, played a grand total of two minutes, or excuse me, um, three games played, scored two points in the NBA, 
uh, as a member of the Sacramento Kings in 2015. He's really the last super tall guy that was out there in the NBA. Um, and you're right, because the, you know, the 3 and D guys, the up and down style of play that the NBA has adopted, super tall guys aren't really overly advantageous. But that doesn't mean that someone might at least get it, you know, take a shot at, at, uh, at, at Taco to see uh, what he's got. It's just I think he's going to have to show a lot more. For that reason, I think he's going to have to show a lot more um, improvement on the offensive end. He's going to have to show that he's a guy who can rebound and start the fast break um, and, and not hold everybody up on the offensive side uh, in order, to, in order to, for, for him to work in the NBA. It's gonna, I think it's going to be an uphill battle. I think uh, if I was evaluating, I would say you still need to work on your offensive game here. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would uh, definitely strongly would agree with that. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll see what he what information he gets. That's not again. It's a non story until he makes a, an official decision right. after he gets information. I don't. I think it's a non story and there's nothing to worry about. You're just going to get his more information and we'll see what happens. Whatever it is. I hope that he. I, I, you're right. I hope he gets the right information and acts upon it uh, accordingly. And either in either way, I think I think I'll be happy for him either way. So. All right, let's take a quick breather, and when we get back, uh, we're going to bring on Brian Murphy. He's going to talk a little UCF baseball with us here uh, and uh, catch us up on the Knights as they get ready for the war on I-4 on the Diamond in Tampa. Stick around. The Black and Gold Gold Bannerhead podcast, oh boy, is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And joining us now, well, how about this? You're listening to the actual only three people working at blackandgoldbanneret.com right now. <laughs> Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and joining us on the line, Brian Murphy, who's been uh, covering some baseball for us and writing some great basketball stuff, too, reflecting on, the, uh, on that win against uh, Illinois. But... Uh, Brian joining us here for the first time on the podcast. Brian, I'm sorry I didn't do this sooner. How are you, brother? It's totally fine, Jeff. Glad to be here. Anytime you want me, I'll be on the show. Thanks, brother. So um, let's talk a little baseball. Let's talk a little UCF baseball right now. So we're uh, yeah. 20, 23-7, 21-5 at home, coming off of a, uh, a win against Stetson at home uh, midweek. Uh, prior to that, two out of three, winning two out of three at home against number 11, Houston. And uh, UCF mm-hmm. now heading out to Tampa for three uh, this weekend to continue the uh, conference schedule. So, uh, wow, we were both we both sat in Greg Lovelady's office for our uh, preseason interview with him. And you've gotten to talk to him more than a few times and a couple of the players as well. Is uh, is this 23 of your first 30? Is this is this start? 
what you expected, or 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 is it, are they playing like way above their heads right now? I don't know if they're playing way above their heads. Certainly, you think there's going to be some regression. I don't want to be. I don't want to start on a negative note, but you know their pitching has been so outstanding. I mean, from top to bottom, starters and bullpen uh, have been absolutely phenomenal. I think they gave up a run. The bullpen gave up a run against Stetson uh, on Tuesday or on Wednesday, and that broke up like a 25 inning scoreless streak for them. Uh, the bullpen has been has been probably the star of this team. The star has been outstanding. I think as, as the season goes along, we get deeper into conference play. Those guys, at some point, because it's baseball, you know, will give up some runs and won't, you know, pitch as well. And this team might lose some games that right now they're winning. Um, I'm not sure if you told uh, Love Lady, you know, back in February that you'd win, you know, 23 of your first 30. Uh, I don't know if he'd. I don't know if he'd believe it. Uh, just because it's a new voice in the locker room. Uh, Grand, this team does have a lot of seniors, which is, I think, helping it out a lot. But I do think that it's a bit of a surprising start, and I do think that I'll be interested to see, and I hope I'm proven wrong, but I'll be interested to see if this team can keep it up uh, and if this bullpen can continue to be as spectacular as it has been. Let me uh, look on the hitting side right here. Luke Hamlin mm-hmm. has been has been on a tear all season. He's at 347 right now. But the guy I really kind of gravitate towards in terms of just being a real surprise has been Rylan Thomas. His in his freshman yeah. year, he's hitting 346. He's slugging 587. He's got six homers, 30 runs batted in, leads the team in those categories. Um, gosh, what, where did this guy come from? Where what are we seeing here from him? Well, a lot of power. I mean, this team, uh, you know, the, the, our, our home stadium, the J. Bourbon Field, has never been a great home run hitters park. So you see if teams don't usually have a lot of power. Um, but this, you know, Rylan Thomas coming in uh, from, uh, I think, Winter, Winter Garden, Windermere, Windermere Prep, uh, and slugging 587 uh, so far, uh, hitting 346. He's got six home runs. I, and I think, I think it's been, a, a, again, another pleasant surprise for this team. And I would also add, Rylan Thomas, a part of that bullpen as well. He has actually pitched seven scoreless innings this year mm-hmm. out of the bullpen. Um, so he's been great on both ends of the game for this team. Uh, and, and something that, again, a, a team that would have had a lot of upperclassmen to have freshmen. Uh, well, I'd say one, Rylan Thomas on, on the hitting side, and then Joe Sheridan on the pitching side. Uh, has really helped this team sort of round out, um, but he's been he's been outstanding and given this team um, extra base hits where they may, may 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 not otherwise get them. Murph, look at this pitching staff. I mean, I think ERA they're top five in the country in ERA. They are they, second. They, they are second, second in the country behind the number one team in the nation, Oregon State. That's a good company to have. Why? Why have they been so good? And talking to both sides, uh, what is it? Is it the fact that the pitchers know their roles? Because I think UCF fans will say the major. You know, I mean, guy, there's a lot of pitchers back from last year's team, especially in the starting mm-hmm. rotation. But there's some new faces. But why the drastic improvement? You know, and, and when you ask about that to Love Lady and the players, you know, you don't get a lot of you, you get a lot of cliches, which isn't the best thing. For us reporters, it's a lot of, you know, one pitch at a time. I just go out there and do my job. Um, but I think this right now, these guys are really comfortable with what Lovelady and his pitching coach, Justin Parker, are preaching to them right now. Um, you know, stuff-wise, or, and also I'd also like to point out, again, like I, I pointed this out already, like sometimes in baseball, 
they just hit him. They, you know, they, even if you deliver a bad pitch or the guy hits the ball on the nose, you've got a defender there or, you know, it's popped up or a weak, weak contact. So they may be also getting slightly lucky. Just going to point that out. They might be getting slightly lucky. But I think this, this team right now knows their role as far as, as far as starters and relievers. They've set their week in rotation um, uh, with Robbie Howell. Juan Pimentel and Joe Sheridan. They had their closer in Bryce Tucker. Everybody knows their role. They feel very comfortable. Winning is infectious. And I think they're just, there's, there's no pressure on this group right now. I think they're going out there, and I hate to be cliche just like they are. I think they're going out there and just doing their job and not putting any pressure on it. And the results are turning up roses for them. Here's a cliche for you. They say luck uh, is when preparation meets opportunity, and I think that's mm-hmm. certainly been the been the case with them. Now, so let's look at the schedule now coming up. They got three against USF coming in. UCF right mm-hmm. now twenty three and seven overall, two and one in the league. UConn is uh, UConn currently is leading the conference. They're three and zero. They beat East Car- they swept East Carolina, but UConn's only sixteen and ten overall. USF's off to a hot start, twenty four and five, but they uh, are one and two in the league right now. This game's going to be at uh, these the series rather is going to be at Tampa Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What do you expect from the Knights in this upcoming series against the Bulls? Well, I, yeah, it's going to be a great series because, like you said, also it's a very trying series because, again, South Florida also twenty-two and two in Tampa. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm more generally interested in just to see how this this UCF team uh, can keep the momentum going uh, for a team that's only lost seven games, like UCF, as UCF has. This team's had like uh, its own sort of uh, peaks and valleys this season. Start off real hot. And then you might remember that they got sort of embarrassed and outclassed by Florida State back in March, then rebounded really well, then lost three or four against teams like Jacksonville and Dartmouth, in which they couldn't really hit anything, and now they're hot again. Uh, I, I'd like to, I, I'm interested to see going into a, a place where obviously there's a, rival, there's a rivalry going on and a home team that's way hot at home, if they can keep this going. And pulling and, and, and kind of pulling that picture back a little bit, this is going to be an amazing couple of weeks for this team because you've got South Florida, who, like you said, has been really good and is at home. Uh, then the next series is East Carolina, who has been you know, 0-3 in conference, but they were the preseason powerhouse in this conference. I mean, they, they were expected to win this conference uh, coming into the season, and that's in Greenville, North Carolina, another road contest. And then after that, uh, UCF returns home, for a conference against UConn, who just swept East Carolina. So that's all in the next two weeks. I think in the next two and a half weeks, we are going to have a real clear picture about what this team looks like. Just to Murph, give a what little... Oh, go ahead, uh, yeah. go ahead Eric. No, I'm sorry. I, well, I, I want to piggyback on that, what Murph is saying. What did you feel about the Houston series? Because that, that is a significant series win. I, I was listening to Mark mm-hmm. Daniels on the radio call of the Stetson game. UCF's RPI, and I know it's early in the baseball season, but hey, you know what? That's, that's what us media people do. All right. Their RPI was in the 60s going into the Houston series. And now all of a sudden, because they won two out of three against Houston, as I'm looking at Warren Nolan, who projects RPI numbers, UCF's a 36 RPI. And, and that's significant mm-hmm. because that gets you into the NCAA tournament. Now, I know it's early, but uh, it, it, what your takeaway from that Houston series is that a positive sign? Can we start? maybe believing that this team has a chance to be an NCAA tournament team, or are you still going to be skeptical on it? Yeah, obviously with your own qualifier that it is early, it's a big first series because it was the first series. This is your opening stamp on conference play. 
you play, you know, by, in, by, by one uh, ranking, the 11th best, by many others, at least a top 25 team in Houston and beat them two out of three. Um, it's, 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 your, it's, it's your opening statement, and it's a big opening statement for, for UCF to come out. Again, first-year manager, you don't know what you're going to get for this team, and, and they really, really played well. Two things I'd point out from that series that I thought were really impressive. One, again, the bullpen had 10 scoreless innings. Uh, and Houston has a kid named, uh, I think his name is Jake Shiner. I hope I'm not missing his name. Um, but he came into that series hitting about 440. He had about a 1,400 OPS. And he went three for twelve with uh, with one RBI, with two RBI. Wow! Um, again, this pitching is getting it done. We can talk about the hitters, but um, I thought again also about Houston. They averaged six point two five runs per game coming in the series and scored six runs in the entire weekend. Um, it, it, it was a great, a great opening series. I think uh, certainly if you're Lovelady and that roster, you are ecstatic. But knowing that baseball is an everyday sport, you got to keep going. And let's see if they don't have a bit of an emotional letdown this weekend. Just a note on the RPI that, Eric, you mentioned. Um, right now, UCF currently, this is on uh, NCAA.com, through games on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, UCF currently 36th. Florida State 32nd. Florida, who mm-hmm. UCF beat once, is 6th. Uh, Houston 14th. Um, UCF, like you like you mentioned, Brian just took uh, two out of three from, uh, uh, and then uh, let's see. Oh, there's South Florida right there. They're at forty right now. So, uh, and then of course you have UConn trailing right behind them at forty uh, four, and Bethune Cookman at forty five, who's also um, who's also of note. So yeah, I, 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 I and and a team that UCF also had on the schedule. So, um, boy, they're kind of to me, Brian. They're kind of sitting in the catbird seat right now. If you don't collapse down the stretch uh if you get through this two and a half week stretch like you said they could be in uh in really good shape um going forward yeah. if, if if anything causes the wheels to come off what do you think it'll be again i just think you know maybe it's the, the pitching uh because they've been so good you know joe sheridan has been a really good story a local kid i think from Oviedo, and he he beat he's a kid who he beat florida as a freshman uh back in march uh, you know, uh, you know. Can you expect Juan Pimentel to have a one seven six ERA for their entire season? No. Uh, I think there are five guys in this bullpen who have pitched who have pitched at least nine innings and not given up a run. Um, Bryce Tark, Bryce Tucker, their closer has been one of them. Uh, if if they're, you know, I think the hitting has been fine. I think if you talk to Love Lady, he'd like to see a little little bit more out of some guys mm-hmm. offensively. The pitching has been superb. Uh, if they collapse, it would probably be because. The, the pitching just can't hold up. I, now, there's you can't say, like, you know, who's going to be specifically who's due for a regression. Uh, really, since all these guys have been pitching so well, I think you just kind of look at a broad spectrum and say, like, yeah, at some point, these guys are going to get scored upon. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if they can sort of spread it out over a series of games uh, and not have it affect them. But, you're, I, again, I wanted to end it. Like, you're right, Jeff, because, again, I didn't know Bethune-Cookman was in the top 50 in RPI. So you've got South Florida for three, Florida Atlantic, then East Carolina, Bethune-Cookman for one, and Connecticut. So basically, that's that's 13 of their next 14 games are South Florida, East Carolina, Bethune-Cookman, and Connecticut. Uh, again, these next, next two weeks are going to be spectacular to watch. Boy, this should be really interesting heading down the stretch. So uh, once again, UCF has uh, three against USF. 
uh, in Tampa coming this week. And then, like you mentioned, Brian, right after that, FAU on Tuesday, April 11th, and they're at East Carolina for three on the 13th, 14th, and 15th before they get another look at Bethune on the 18th. So another matchup with mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with Cookman, this one at home, uh, and then home for three against UConn. So, man, this, this conference schedule is getting to be a murderer's row, so we're going to really see. It is well, it is, and Jeff, and you know this, Jeff, covering the conference tournament last year, and Murph, I think you're going to learn this too, is this league mm-hmm. is very good in baseball, yeah. and I think it's a multiple mm-hmm. league bid league. UConn is very good, Jeff. You saw UConn up close last year. East Carolina, Cliff Godwin, you know, and USF's off. They're healthy. They had a lot of injuries last year, and one of the advantages is UCF plays USF six times because in the conference – there's uh, one specific team you play six times. If USF continues to have the year they're having, that's going to help UCF because that's a good RPI game, uh, and that's the to me that what jumps out. It's exciting for UCF because I know, I think, I, and I'm one of them has kind of been a wait and see approach because the schedule non-conference at least on the weekends have not been, uh, uh, you know, exciting. Right? It's been kind of a schedule mm-hmm. that was made by the previous regime of uh, to try to get some wins. But I think it's helped them get some confidence, and now you're getting into a league that I think is going to be three to four bid league potentially. Uh, I think these guys are playing with a lot of confidence right now, Murph. What's your thoughts on Lovelady being around him so far in his first year? Oh, again, it's, it's such a dichotomy from, from Terry Rooney, right? It's <laughs> Terry Rooney was the guy who was in your face and, and wanted to get the guys hyped up. and He was so excitable. But then when you're losing, that, that, that excitement tends to, tends to really wear false. Um, with Lovelady – He's very even keel, uh, even in losses and wins. You know, he, that's why I say he throws a lot of cliches. You know, he's very, he's sort of, you know, he played well today or, you know, we need to play better tomorrow. Uh, it, it, I think the guys like that. I think the guys are, again, I think that makes them comfortable because it, it, it's less, it's not as manic. And I know maybe, maybe the, the, the harsh of a term, but I think his level-headedness, I think, I think Lovely's level-headedness has really helped this team, and it, it, it's certainly a change from the past. Boy, and well, it's, I'll, it's, I'll say it's a change in the past when you got a team that's 23 and 7 heading into the meat of this conference schedule right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and also yeah, with yeah. the pitching staff there, I think this is really amazing. Like you were mentioning, they have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. They have seven pitchers right now with, uh, that have appeared in at least six games with ERAs under two. And three yeah. of those guys have ERAs of zero. So, I mean, and you could you could spout those you could spout those stats off all day long too. If you look at their opponent's batting average, I think they have six or seven guys who have under two hundred. I mean, yeah. it's been they've been they've been dominating. Yeah, teams are hitting only two twenty three this year against UCF. Well, UCF as yeah. a team is hitting wow. uh, two ninety. So, wow. All right, Brian. Well, thanks for joining us. Hey, where can uh, where can everyone catch your work? Uh, and how can people get in touch with you? Well, obviously, you can go to the website. <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's, been, and it's been great working with you guys. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Spokes, S-P-O-K-E-S, underscore Murphy, at Spokes, underscore Murphy. Cool. All and, right, I'll say th- and I'll say this, too. For a long time, a lot of UCF baseball fans for a long time know Murph from his work at the Central Florida Future. How many years did you cover the baseball program? Hey, well, you know, I, I kind of took the Van, I kind of took the Van Wilder, Wilder track through college. So I worked uh, for the Future for about four years, four and a half years. Yeah. What years was yeah. it? Yeah. You remember the, what, what years was it? It was. Uh... I, joined, I joined in March of 05, and I left in the spring of 09. So basically four years straight up. 
Yeah, right. I was, just, I was a senior in I was a senior in 05 when you joined up and I was actually writing for the future too at that time. And I, yeah, uh, I remember and, that. Right. And then I was working actually at the in the athletic department at the time when you finished. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh it's good yeah. stuff. I'm glad I'm so glad you're on board because well, first of all, you're one hell of a writer and uh and and you bring great perspective on baseball. I think that's been fun. And I also would be remiss if I didn't uh, once again compliment you on the you know if you, folks if you haven't read what Brian wrote uh, about the uh, the basketball game in the NIT against Illinois you really owe it to yourself because I thought that you captured the perfect uh, the perfect snapshot for you know if you're a UCF fan how you feel about how you felt about that moment in that game and uh, that was an all timer man thanks again and uh, we really appreciate appreciate you having you on and uh, we'll catch up with you again. Uh, real soon. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you, boys. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you. All right. And thanks again to uh, Brian. Don't forget to follow him here at blackandgoldbanneret.com. And also, uh, like we said, at uh, Spokesmurphy42 on Twitter as well. So um, let's uh, switch diamonds over to softball, Eric Lopez. 19-17. and 17. That's the record of your UCF softball team right now um, as they continue through their schedule and in meet of a really tough schedule, by the way. Took two out of three at East Carolina, um, including uh, uh, the uh, the Saturday and the Sunday game uh, up in Greenville. Uh, And then uh, before going down to Boca and uh, came up short against FAU, uh, four to nothing. The Knights remaining on the road this weekend, heading up to Memphis. Give us uh, give us an update. What's the latest on UCF softball right now? What where do they stand at this point in the conference schedule? Well, I mean, right now they're in the midst of the road trip. I mean, that, that ECU series was big. I mean, uh, you know, and in a lot of ways kind of describes this team right now with the youth. You know, you look at that Friday game against East Carolina, got away from them, and they lost 9 nothing in five innings. You're like, oh, you know, this could be a long weekend. But they bounced back, run-ruled East Carolina themselves on Saturday, and then Aaliyah White shut them out on Sunday. So, uh, you know, we've talked about it numerous times on the podcast, and, you know, I still get questions about it on social media about it, and, you know, it's a young team, so you're going to have some ups and downs. And I, you know, but that was a big conference series win. Now the lost FAU you referenced, FAU is very good. FAU's got a lot of returning players from a last year's couple of years where they've made the NCAA tournament. And that's, you know, that's the obstacles that UCF's going against. They're going against teams that have still more experience than them. So I wasn't surprised uh, uh, by the FAU result. FAU is very good. Now they go to Memphis. And this will be another challenge. Memphis is a very scrappy ball club with experienced pitching uh, with Christian Novak. Uh, they got Trostclair, some good leadoff hitters. They don't have a lot of power, but they have a lot of slap hitters. And that'll be a challenge for this young team and this young pitching staff in particular. So, um, you know, it, it's about a learning deal. But again, there's only three and three in the conference. And other than Tulsa, Tulsa's off to a 5-1 and one start. And as I've said, I think this regular season, it's Tulsa's championship to lose. I think after that, it's wide open. And uh, so there's still opportunities there. And you look at the way the schedule breaks for them after this Memphis series. That's why this Memphis series is big. This is a big series because if they can win this series on the road, now you come back home for USF at home by week as far as conference is concerned then Connecticut at home. So you've got a chance to make a run in conference-wise if you can win the series uh, against Memphis. Easier said than done. Right. So I think it's a big series. It's a big series for them. If they can find a way to win on the road here and go to 5-4 and four, you know, in conference with next six at home before you go to Tulsa, 
you got a chance to make a run and make a run at maybe second or third place in the conference, in my opinion. Um, interesting to see how this young staff, I'll be curious how they handle the Memphis slap hitters who are very good and a very, a very pesky team, a very good team. It'll be a good challenge for this young staff and a learning weekend for them as well. I was going to ask you about that, particularly with the pitching. Like, do you feel like, you know, watching them, like, is it shaking at, shaking itself out or do they still have a long way to go? No, I, the, the, the issue is when you have three freshmen on your roster and you're depending on them for a chunk of the innings, it's, it's up and down. And, yeah. you know, a one inning here or one inning there can make the difference. Now, offense, you know, but that also goes to the offense. I mean, you look at the offense right now. If you look at the lineup on a given day, you've got a, a, a redshirt freshman behind the plate in Autumn Gillespie. You've got a freshman in Klarkowski getting at-bats. You've got a freshman, a true freshman, in Esparza from California getting at-bats. Uh, you know, So it, it's a lot of youth there. We're not even talking about some of the other freshmen that are got, they're getting playing time uh, hit, hit and miss. Aubrey Johnson, another kid. So unfortunately – as you know, with freshmen, and, and, and I have always said this when it comes to women's sports compared to men's sports, in women's sports with freshman players in any sport, regardless of it is, for some of them it takes them longer than others. There's an adjustment period. There's maybe more inconsistency than maybe you would get with a male freshman player for whatever the reason. I just That's just the way it is, partly because of uh, the emotions. Maybe you're up and down. Uh, the, you know, Men are more physically, I think, ready to compete at a college level than maybe the women are in some, in some instances. Uh, there's a maturity factor of it. So I think that's where this team is. It's still a learning curve. I think it's still up and down. This team is capable of winning the next five, and they're also capable of losing the next three or four. It's kind of why you pull your hair out sometimes. <laughs> so um, you just, you know, it'll click. It's for some, it'll click quicker than others, but it'll eventually click. I mean, I remember – uh, you know, the, the group with Mackenzie Otis and, 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 and Ferris Sullivan and Kaylee Novak and Maddie Schroeder, that freshman group, you know, they made the NCAA tournament. Maddie Schroeder is a great example. Maddie Schroeder couldn't hit under, was on a 200 hitter in her first year or two. It didn't really start clicking for her until her sec, late second year, third year. And eventually she ended up being an all-conference player. Same thing for Kaylee Novak. She, she had to fight herself with confidence in her first year or so. Yeah. So you, you just can't teach that. So you just have to figure it out on your own. Now, Mackenzie Otis figured it out in her first year right off the bat. She was ready to roll. Uh, but then she had a setback in her sophomore year because she faced some adversity in the sophomore year, had some injuries she had to deal with. So um, it's always a challenge, and I, I think that's – you know, that's the thing with these girls. Some of them will figure it out this year. Some of them will, will figure it out by the end of the year. And some of them, it takes them a year to figure it out. And so in the meantime, what you're hoping is that you enough of them can play consistently enough to where you win most of your games and you get yourself in position for postseason. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. But I think that's why this Memphis series is an interesting series because Memphis has got a lot of experienced players, Jeff. they got a lot of juniors and seniors on their team. Um, and they're they're hungry. They're trying to move up a ladder in the conference. You know, this was a team last year that started to improve in the second half of last year. They actually took a game from UCF at home, and they were one swing away from getting to the semifinals of the conference tournament. There's still that bad taste in their mouth. So they're trying to move up the ladder, and uh, you know, UCF's going to have to deal with them on that. And here's the thing: 
regardless, UCF's a target to everybody in the league because of all the success they've had. So um, they, they, the young players are finding out that they got to be ready to go every game because you're going to get your best punch from everybody in the league because of who you are and what the jersey you're wearing. Well, you're right about this series coming up, though, because um, right now UCF and Memphis, like you mentioned, tied uh, for third yeah. in, the, in the conference softball standings at 500, 3-3 three and three apiece. Tulsa uh, continues to roll. They're 5-1 in the league. Houston right now at 2-1, and 17-17 and 17 overall. Those are the two teams ahead of Memphis and UCF at this point. So this will be a big weekend indeed for UCF softball. And then heading into next week, when you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday at home against USF, including a game against ESPN on, rather, uh, ESPNU PNU. at the softball complex on uh, Thursday, April the 13th. So that should be so. Uh, so this is a big three game set heading into that three game set. Let's uh, flip around to some of the other sports. We've got some really fun news and notes from the last uh, week I want to get into here. Uh, track and field. Um, Big week at the 2017 Pepsi Florida Relays, culminating in Anne-Marie Blaney. It seems like every, every, every show or two, we're, we're talking about Anne-Marie. Um, first outdoor school record of the season in the 1,500 meters. Um, that's the, uh, so, you know, that's your, um, what do you call it? That's your metric mile. So she ran that in 421.64. That's pretty impressive. Ocala native, doing um, doing it in front of uh, some uh, a lot of friends uh, and family at the uh, Florida Pepsi Florida relays uh, last weekend. So, congrats to uh, Anne Marie. Uh, five top twelve performances for the Knights on Saturday in the final day uh, of the um, of the uh, Pepsi Florida uh, relays. So, including finishing second in the four by eight hundred relay, which was pretty cool to to see as well. So, very good co- competition. Uh, in that up in Gainesville at the Florida Relays. So uh, they have, let's see, one, two, three, four. Uh, well, they got a bunch of um, you know smaller meets coming up here and there, but uh, they're sort of splitting the squad up here and there to go to a bunch of different meets before the um, AAC Championships in Houston on May uh, the 12th. Tennis. All right, Eric, we've been looking forward to this, right? Let's talk about men's tennis because they beat USF. Uh, at the USTA National Campus, 4-2 to two, uh, last Saturday. They got two matches to go in the season at J- in Johnson City, Tennessee, against East Tennessee State and then UNC Wilmington before the American Championships on April the 20th. But let's talk about the South Florida match because uh, the Knights, with the win, they were ranked number 39 coming into the match. And John Roddick's team has been cranking up the rankings here late in the season. USF ranked 26th. UCF gets the victory for the for, over USF for the first time since 2010, um, and they scored the points, uh, the six points in the war on I four, uh, with a four to two win over USF at home, uh, fourth top thirty victory for UCF this year, uh, and as a result, UCF jumps from 39 to 31 in the Oracle ITA college rankings on Tuesday. And wow. Wow. Wait, wait, what is that? First of all, explain that. That's a great wording there. Explain the audience what that means. Cause wow, that's a good vocabulary. You just used there. So, so they just jumped eight spots in the Oracle ITA college rankings. Is that like an RPI? Is that the tennis version of the RPI? That's right. So that's, so, and in tennis, the way they do that is, yeah, they, 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 there's no, like, coach's poll or anything. The rankings are all statistical. 
Um, and then Corey Lovett, who individually is ranked number 70 in the country, um, was named the AAC Men's Tennis Player of the Week by the league office for his, uh, for his victory uh, or for his job, for the job that he did against USF. Knights right now 12-5. and five. John Roddick, man, what a year that they are having. We thought they would ha- it would happen pretty quick, right? Yeah, this is what he did. This is what he does. He does this at Oklahoma, and he's doing it again. And who would have thunk it? We're on, and I'm glad you found that rankings because we're on bubble watch, baby. We're on <laughs> bubble watch for the tennis NCAA tournament in, in, in year one. That tell, That's an, a remarkable Wait a minute, bubble story. watch? You're 31st in the country. We better get yeah, in Yeah, well, but point. it's early. It's early. It's early. That's You know, you still got conference games going on around the league, and there's a point system. So, you know, you got to keep chugging along. And I think he would tell you that Jeffrey, if he talked to you right now, I think John would tell you the exact same thing. So let's not throw a parade yet, but they're in the mix. They're in the mix to make the NCAA tournament, which is wild. Um, with, I think it's like four top, uh, four wins against top 40 teams, I believe this year. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're top 30. That's good. Yeah. You got, that's a heck of a resume to build. So I, I, I like it. it. It's been tremendous. The atmosphere, from what I understand, that USF win was tremendous. I mean, it's been a long time since they've beaten USF. Mm-hmm. 2010. Uh, so, and as you know, if you beat USF and you're a UCF coach, that's a uh, that's a very, uh, very good, very good situation. Nice, Yeah, nice feather to have in your cap. By the way, number one right now, uh, Wake Forest, followed by Ohio State, Baylor, Virginia, USC, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma State, TCU, UCLA, rounding out the top ten. Georgia is 13th. Florida is 14th. Georgia Tech 17th. Uh, and then just seeing who some other notables are. Oh, South Florida is 26th. Florida State 30th. And UCF at 31st. Uh, so you got that. By the way, you got a couple of AAC teams involved up in there. Um, Tulane is 28th. So we'll be playing them in the conference tournament. Uh, Memphis is 33rd. SMU 36th. Uh, so yeah, there's some pretty good. That's a couple weeks away, by the way, that is a couple weeks away at the tennis, at the tennis complex too, or at the, uh, at the USDA tennis center. So, wow. Jeffrey, you're going to have to head out there. Jeffrey. I want to head head on that. I want to head out there for conference. I want to see if we can make it down there for conference. So Bridget Gale, if you're listening, um, you you got the schedule. You tell us, don't tell you what, what, what's when you say in conference, which one you got, you got your eye on. No, I'm talking about, uh, April 20th is the American championships down at Lake Nona. Okay. So, um, so you want to go that weekend? Yeah. I want to see if I can, I want to see if we can skip down there on it. It's a Thursday. Um, so that should be, that should be fun coming down there to see that. I want to, I want to see what that whole, what that whole stuff is like. I've driven past it before and I haven't even gone yet. And I'm embarrassed. Unbelievable. I can't believe Um, you. I, oh, uh, golf. All right, we got some golf to talk about. Men's golf team won the 3M Augusta Invitational at Forest Hills Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia, uh, over the weekend. Um, the uh, uh, How about Bryce Waller getting the victory um, in that field? Uh, Bobby Bai, uh was named the Conference Player of the Week. He finished minus 10, 69, 68, 69, tied for runner-up uh, in, um, in the individuals for that tournament. But um, Bobby, uh, UCF's leading, uh, leading player uh, he- heading for that tournament title. So uh, that two-day tournament, um, huge for UCF uh, as they finished. I'm trying to pull up the um, 
final numbers. They're heading to the Boilermaker Invitational hosted by Purdue. Uh, in the uh, in the ne- for their next tournament, which is uh, a little bit more than a week, um, but uh, you know we uh, UCF went into the final round and, and trailing in third. Uh, they were down to Illinois and New Mexico, turning the best round of the weekend. Four guys finished under par, uh, and uh, and the and the fifth guy uh, went, finished it even. So. Um, so there you go. How about that? Right before uh, the week before the Masters, UCF wins a tournament in Augusta, not at Augusta National, uh-huh. but um, but at the. Did they get a green Augusta jacket invitation? No, no. But but there, there's uh. a picture. You'll see this. All right, I love this picture. You'll see this picture uh, here on uh, uh, UCFnights.com. Uh, the team took a photo. Uh, uh, one of the things that they get, they get a trophy, and then they each get a. <laughs> They're they're all holding a framed picture of the Augusta National Clubhouse, which struck me as odd because they weren't playing at Augusta National um, because obviously they're getting ready for the the Masters tournament this weekend. But I mean, when you th- say Augusta and golf, and you're thinking, oh, okay, you know, it's all right, I'll take that. But um, hey, win is a win for UCF uh, men's golf, women's golf, by the way. Uh, finished 11th at the Bryan National, hosted by UNC Greensboro. They are heading to their conference championships on April the 16th. Uh, that will be held in Palm Coast, uh, north of Daytona. So uh, best of luck to the women's golf team and, uh, and uh, Emily Marin as they get ready for um, their conference championships coming up. So, um, so yeah, that's a pretty busy week, and we're, we're through the Equinox Eric, <laughs> we got, we're we through, are, we're through that. We're through that long stretch. You know, we had basketball crossing over with everything, by the way, men's uh, American athletic conference tournament uh, will be April 23rd, 24th and 25th in Palm Harbor. So, um, but yeah, now, now we're coming down the home stretch, baby. Here we come. That's always fun. And uh, boy, that blows me away. I can't believe it. That the, uh, before you know it, we're just around the corner and all the spring years, uh, teams are done. That's a wild. Well, we're already in conference play for softball and baseball, which are the which are the sports that end the latest. So, um, yeah, and that's going to happen real quick before we even know it. So, all right, let's wrap it up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez, what are you working on this week? Well, that's a good question. What am I working on this week? <laughs> well, I'll be working. I, I, it's weird because when softball's on the road, I'm not with them. It's a little weird. So I obviously to do with yourself. <laughs> I'm still recovering. I covered WrestleMania, man. It was great. How last was week. that, by the way? I saw the photos. How how was it? That was tremendous. Phenomenal. Say what you will. Be, Under, I know you people saw, Under, you almost had a front row seat for Undertaker's last match, man. Floor seats. WWE hooked me up through the radio station. It was tremendous. The Undertaker's last match, as you mentioned. Uh, you had, of course, uh, Brock Lesnar, a former uh, UFC fighter, an amateur wrestler, defeating Bill Goldberg, who played at University of Georgia in the, the big match. It was great. I mean, it was packed. Sold out for WrestleMania. It was sold out. Every event uh, across town was sold out. It was phenomenal. Uh, remarkable. And uh, so it was, uh, so, so I'm glad to recover from that. But um, that was a blast. But no, I mean, I'm obviously still producing Tuck and O'Neill weekdays. So that that's kind of what's on the horizon from that standpoint. And then you mentioned it next weekend, USF comes to town for a big three game series, ESPNU on Thursday. And I'll be back on the call for that for Friday and Saturday for the Bulls re, uh, series there. And then uh, that'll be, uh, that'll be a big one there. So I'm looking forward to that, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, and then thankfully I'll be going to the last couple magic games of the season. 
So that'll be, you know, that'll be exciting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh. Oh, man. Well, I'm uh, listen. I I know how much wrestling fan. I'm not that big a wrestling fan, but I know you must have had a great time at uh, WrestleMania. So see, there's you and then there's uh, a guy I used to work with uh, at my job, um, Dr. Ron Thomas, who is actually a uh, uh, a wrestler himself on some of the Florida circuits um, who uh, who attended um, the uh, who attended WrestleMania and was talking about that as well and how and how much fun of a how how fun of a night that was and it was um, it was that, a tremendous it looked tremendous. like it looked like it was a great day. I didn't see anything obviously I'm not a, you know I'm not a wrestling fan I don't subscribe to WWE Network but uh, but you know, it, it seemed like it was uh, like the the fun of the event uh, certainly matched the hype. Oh, no question about it. It was exciting. It's a, it's a, it is. It's like the Super Bowl. It's an exciting event just to go to, uh, and, and it was fun. So I, I certainly enjoy it. It's one of my favorite things I do. So it's a lot of fun. I know you're not a WWE guy, but you are an NFL guy. Yep. And the big news this week is Tony Romo going to the CBS broadcast. Now, you might be saying, well, why am I bringing that up on the UCF podcast? Well, Brandon Helwig of UCFSports.com brought this up on his message boards. And that's why, again, that's one of the million reasons why you need to subscribe to UCFSports.com if you're a UCF fan. If you haven't done so, what are you doing? Like, what's, you, you need to reevaluate. But I don't know if you recalled this, but Tony Romo played his college ball where? Eastern Illinois. Who UCF played in 1999. And Romo played in that game, apparently. And apparently that was his first collegiate loss. Is that right? I don't know the specifics on that, but I think that sounds about accurate because he came in, I think, started the week before or something like that. Yeah, and, and that year, uh, that game was played at the Citrus Bowl. That was the year where UCF played a tough schedule. They had to Purdue with Drew Brees mm-hmm. to open the season. I was at that game when they opened the 1999 season against Purdue and Drew Brees and Joe Tiller. I drove. I went up for that weekend. It was Labor Day weekend. I had a friend who was going to school at the time, and I went up there to see that game. Vic Penn, great name, started at quarterback for UCF, a kid out of down in Miami. was the unfortunate task of following Dante Culpepper's uh, footsteps. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But so I remember going to that game and uh, seeing Purdue, and that was the year I think UCF played at Georgia Tech. They played at Florida. Uh, I think they played at Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, back in that season. Um, but apparently, again, and I didn't know about it because I, I didn't go to the, all the games that year. I was like, that was the last year that I didn't follow UCF football for a full year. My first full year that I started following UCF was 2000. But I, I went to that 99 game again because I had friends there. But, you know, that year – uh, UCF played Eastern Illinois at home. Yeah, UCF. Here, here's I pulled up the schedule that year. So UCF's first four games. You ready for this? Yeah. Home for number twenty-two Purdue loss. At number four Florida loss. At number twelve Georgia Tech loss. At number eleven Georgia loss. Controversial loss. Yes. that was a uh, offensive pass interference call by the SEC officials. Uh, that that was certainly uh, it was an, a bad call. I mean, they, By the way, they and, they also, against, and the Knights yeah. also had a game at Auburn that year in November and lost that yep. one. Um, Eastern Illinois was the first game that wasn't against the top twenty-five opponent, and it was UCF's first win of the year, thirty-one to uh, twenty-one. And uh, uh, Eastern Illinois that year, um, actually, that was 
their uh, that was their fourth loss in their first five games. So they were struggling. But Tony Roma that year played in three games, one of them against UCF. Um, but he was a uh, redshirt freshman that year. He mm-hmm. was a redshirt, and his first start was against UCF because he came yeah. in the week before because the started quarterback got hurt against Eastern Tennessee. So Romo's first collegiate start was against UCF, which yeah. is kind of wild. I mean, who would have thought? I mean, I mean, props to Brandon for remembering that stuff. He was there, obviously. I, I don't even I would never remember it, but that's a kind of a cool tidbit considering the big news today, which is with this week with Tony Romo becoming the number one analyst on CBS, replacing a guy that you're a big fan of as a Giants fan, Phil Sims. Really unceremonious, uh, really a very controversial move. I mean, you don't see this in broadcasting where a guy just comes out with no experience and jumps into the number one, you know, 18 booth. Uh, how do you think he'll do? I think I think Tony Romo has been uh, he's been prepping for this for a while. You know, the thing that they don't tell you about this is that, um, you know, if a guy is thinking about going into TV, these networks, they'll they'll try him out and they'll do some games, um, you know, sort of record some games and see how he sounds, how he looks. Um, you know, I'm sure that they've done a couple of basically it's like working him out. Right. You know how they like a pre-draft workout. Um, Romo's ready for this. I think that the one thing that that's going to be interesting is, you know, people kept on saying, um, you know, uh, how, uh, and by the way, I actually pulled up the Orlando Sentinel story. Eastern Illinois countered with backup quarterback Tony Romo, and the redshirt freshman gave a decent performance in relief of senior Anthony Buick, who left with a twisted knee. Um, Romo completed 12 of 18 for 186 yards and one touchdown, but UCF sacked him five times. Um, a, a note on that, a, a note on Romo's broadcasting career. Um, he, I, I think he's in a position where, you know, if you're going to, they're going to put him in as the number one guy on the, on their number one crew with Nance. Um, they're going to need, the teams are going to need some assurances that he's not going to parachute out of the booth and come back in case <laughs> someone plays because, like, you know, t- teams are going to be trying to, you know, if he's going to be broadcasting, you know, he's going to want them to let him in and, and get some insight into, you know, what they're going to do in certain games. And if they think there's a possibility he might come back, they're not going to give him the information that he needs to actually do the broadcasting job during all the weekly meetings and stuff. Sure, absolutely. That serves him one of many questions about that. And will he be vocal? Will he be critical? Who knows? I'm just surprised that he's going to be there by himself because normally when you bring in a main guy, you put him in as a three-man booth. You know, like when Troy Aikman started, they paired him with Joe Buck and Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, Chris Collinsworth, that's right. People forget uh, that. Pe- correct. Phil Sims, ironically, when he started, uh, when he went to NBC, he was paired up with Dick Emberg and Paul McGuire. Right. And before uh, that, he was a studio guy in ESPN. Correct. So this is very rare. I was trying to think of the last guy. The only one I could think of, to some extent, I guess, maybe was Boomer Esiason when he went to Monday Night Football. But even then, I'm trying to remember. I thought... Well, well Boomer had Bo- previous broadcasting experience before because I remember... Boy, this boy, people are going to be like, wow, Jeff, you're a real friggin' nerd knowing this. Um, Boomer, in the offseason... Did uh, was an analyst for USA Network's coverage of the World League for two years. So when he was an active player, he was broadcasting games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, this he is had fair. some reps before he before they they shoved him into the booth. 
Yeah, so this is very stunning. The I'm just surprised they wouldn't at least keep Phil Sims in there as a third guy for one year to kind of for the transition instead of putting Romo without a net. If they right put it, there. if they put him in there, I would like to see them put paired up with a veteran guy who's like a defensive player. So, well, yeah, Sean anyway. McManus is going does not believe it. Yeah, in that, so is what it is. All right, Eric. Well, let's wrap it up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Remember, you can look us up at UCF underscore Banneret. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric's at Eric Lopez Elo. Look us up on Facebook and at blackandgoldbanneret.com and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and tune in. Thanks again, Eric. I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy, Jeff. And thanks again to Brian Murphy also for joining us earlier today. You can follow him at SpokesMurphy42 as well on Twitter. For all of us here at blackandgoldbanneret.com, I'm Jeff Sharon. Have a good night and go Knights!